0: Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, which means after today we're about halfway through this book. Um, so between First and 2 Timothy is about 10 chapters. Uh, so again, not very long. Paul's letters in the order of our New Testament are uh, organized by length. Uh, as a general rule, I think in one place it doesn't quite work. So Romans is the longest, Philemon's the shortest. And we're we're at the latter, latter half of... Uh, Paul's letters. Uh, But it is here where Paul talks about qualifications for elders and deacons and church members. Uh, so, so he's laid the foundation of what the church is, uh, how we should conduct ourselves, uh, and the foundation of the gospel uh, and, and the role of the pastor in, in all that. Uh, but now he speaks of leadership within the church. So this is equally important for the local church. And what we see in the book of Acts and, and even in the epistles is that everywhere Paul went, when he planted churches, he appointed elders and deacons. The first deacons are introduced in Acts, I believe it's chapter 6. We've not gone through the book of Acts yet in our daily devotions. Um, but um, there we have the row of deacons as servants. And uh, they later take on a more formal role within the church. Uh, but Paul would also appoint elders. And, and that's where we begin in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's what mine says in the ESV, he desires a noble task. Uh, right away we should note a couple things uh, one what what is an overseer right I come from a, a Southern Baptist um, tradition or great Commission Baptist tradition if you've been following the news um, and uh, we don't use the word overseer for anything um, your translation price is elder it could be um, a bishop uh, but uh, it, it could be a number of, of things in the Bible uh, these variety of words uh, Mean the same thing, and we know that by Acts chapter 20, where they're used interchangeably. Um, And so, this is the office of the elder, um, and uh, some see it uh, that a church requires a plurality of elders. So you would have elder rule. This is actually the Presbyterian view. Um, their view is is you have an office of the elders, and then uh, when you go outside a local church, there's 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 a uh, some of those elders go to another level and all the way up to the top. So Presbyterianism is top down and bottom up. It's kind of both. Whereas in like Episcopalianism and uh, Catholicism and others, even like Mormonism, it's it's top down, very top. So you have someone at the top. It goes all the way down. So in Mormonism for example you have a president and you have the 12 apostles there. Um, uh, of course Catholic Church you have the Pope in in, in Episcopalianism the uh, king or queen of England is the head of the church, stuff like that. Um, and uh, so we have the word elders here um, and uh, Paul will say secondly that this is a noble task to pursue. This is a good thing, uh, something that we should encourage. Uh, now I don't think we should encourage people to pursue eldership, uh, unless there is a calling there. Uh, if it helps, if, if you don't like the word elder, uh, you can translate this to the word pastor. Uh, now we can debate plurality of, of elders or pastors all we want to. But just for the sake of simplicity, uh, let us speak of it as the role of the pastor. Um, and um, And he says here, it is a noble task, and it is. Um, it, it will very well be the death of you but, uh, uh, but it, it is a noble task and uh, those who have the calling and I firmly believe in the calling um, should pursue it in obedience to God. But here, here's the uh, uh, moral obligation, the qualifications of him. He must be above reproach. Uh, husband of one wife that literally means one woman man um, and so there has been the presumption that you have to be married in order to be a husband. The problem with that of course is so many people in the New Testament um, are, are, are uh, uh, spiritual leaders Jesus, Paul and others and, and aren't married, they're single. Uh, s- and not to mention throughout church history uh, th- there is that. Um, so uh, we rather need to see it as a, as a one woman man. That's the literal Greek. Because you could be married and not a one woman man. You'd be unmarried and not a one woman man. Um, so I think that ambiguity is, is more helpful when uh, we think about this issue. Because unfortunately, too many single guys perfectly qualified to lead in a local church uh, were considered unqualified uh, because of this and that that is unfortunate uh, sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money he must manage his household well um and uh verse six he must not be a recent convert verse seven be well th- thought of by outsiders right so so not only must he live a christian life he must demonstrate it publicly privately and lead uh, others in, in in the way of Godly does that's, that's a basic summary of it uh, well then he, he switches to deacon. so right away we need to know there are two offices within the church there's the office of the elder pastor bishop overseer whatever uh, and the office of the deacon now there again there's some dis- disagreement over various denominations how this functions um, one of the things I've noticed in the uh, traditions I've grown up in is is it's a single elder model with with deacon r- rule uh, deacon rule not the best way to put that uh, but you have a they have the office of, of deacons that are ordained and, and they the problem is, is um, we don't often define what we mean by deacons in the Baptist tradition. Um, and so as a result, um, they may take on different roles depending on the church you're at. In some churches they they take on a primary servant role. So you see them uh, serving in all these various ways. In some churches they talk on a very uh, eldership role in that they make the decisions. And so what you have is the deacons have a meeting, then they bring it to the church and it's practically already decided because the deacons had a meeting. Uh, and then there, there are some that within the church there's there's some confusion over. so there are some who who come into the role of deaconship with the idea of of making decisions, but there's some on the same among the the same uh, deacons who who want to serve and, and the reason is is because we we've confused the two offices um, and and that is unfortunate. I do believe that deacons have a leadership role within the church after all, they are singled out uh, by the church. Um, but but I do think we would do better if we clarify certain rows, but you notice here they too likewise. So deacons likewise. So everything you just saw with the elders is, is applied to the deacons and he gives some of them um, dignified and not double tongue, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, uh, lives with a clear conscience, blameless, husband of one wife, one woman, man, um, managed children, uh, um, things like that. So you'll notice here, that in the eldership uh, role is an emphasis on teaching, uh, and it's less that in deacons. I think people will be surprised by that uh, when, when they discover that, that the deacons aren't always their Sunday school teachers. There may be a deacon that's not a Sunday school teacher. Well, it's because they have a primary servant function, but they also do have some leadership role, whether it's by example or, or otherwise uh, with within within the church. And so they are to set a standard of godliness um, in the church as does the elders. But then I want you to notice what Paul does. Starting in, in verse 14 but let's look at verse 15. Uh, Paul says, look, I'm writing these things to you so so that, you know, if, if I'm not going to see you soon, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Now notice there, he has just given us qualifications of both elders and deacons. And now he's turned his attention to the entire household of God. Here's the thing that that, uh, frustrates me at times is we set a standard rightly and biblically so for elders and deacons, pastors and deacons, but then with the understanding is they're held to that standard, but I'm not. It's not a biblical idea. If you were to go back over both lists, what is in that list that really isn't basic Christianity? Not double-tongued? Self-controlled? Well-respected? A a one-woman man? Um, uh, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. These are basic Christianity and all Paul is saying is is that who you bring in as leadership of your church should be a model of godliness. Yet it doesn't stop there. The members of your church should model godliness. Not just for the other members but for the next generation and those on the outside of the church. And, and so he says, look, I'm writing to you so that you may know how one ought to carry themselves as a member of the household of God. And so what he has as the foundation, the root of all of this, is laid out in the confession of verse 16. Now, it's important that we identify this as a confession. In my ESV translation, they actually have it in a poetic uh, sense. Um, and, and I think that's helpful because what, what we need to see Paul is doing here he is quoting a confession that predates the writing of 1 Timothy. So what you have here is being that Timothy is in Ephesus, he's saying that the Ephesian church is familiar with this confession or him or whatever it might be. I always try to point this out. So we saw 1 Corinthians 15 and some other places. Colossians has one or two. The reason, uh, Philippians 2 is another example, the reason they're important is because these confessions and hymns are very early which means the doctrine and and the story told in these confessions and hymns are early and so if it mentions the death and resurrection of jesus that means the first christians believed in the death and resurrection of, of jesus not only did they believe it but they considered it foundational to their faith So those who come and say, look, the later Christians made it up because they wanted to justify their faith and they borrowed it from the Greek myths." No, that's not actually what we have. These confessions are early enough that people who can uh, bring out the body are still around. And so notice this confession. He, that is Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world taken up in glory that is the basic story of Jesus isn't it you have the incarnation crucifixion resurrection ascension all right there right there he is the divine God man uh, manifested in flesh seen by the angels and all that is vindicated by the spirit so you have the you have the whole story of Jesus in this brief confession And that is the standard of godliness. It is the gospel of Christ. Well, Lord willing, I hope to see you guys here tomorrow. We'll look at chapter 4.